the Bible could not be more clear that God's children are heirs of the entire world. So then what will we settle for in this world as a trade-off for eternal riches? This critically important question John Piper picks up in a 1999 sermon. Here's what he said. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, Christ, the risen Christ, must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished will be death. So the gates of our enemies include the gates of hell, and we will possess the gates of Hades, and we will break them off their hinges and come out of Sheol and the grave, and there will be no death anymore among God's people. So they will have an everlasting inheritance, namely the inheritance of the Messiah, namely not just Canaan, but supercharged all the nations and all the geography of the world. So, I hope it's clear that the reason we are heirs of the world is that we are in Christ, who is himself the heir of the world. Galatians 3.29 put it so simply, so wonderfully, so clearly. Here's the way it says. If you belong to Christ... So ask yourself right now if that's true. Do you belong to Christ? And you do if you're trusting Him. And you don't if you're not trusting Him. But trust Him. Trust Him. So as I finish this sentence, it'll be yours. If you belong to Christ, here are the two consequences. One, then you are Abraham's descendants. Secondly, heirs according to to the promise. We become heirs of the world the same way we become descendants of Abraham, namely by being grafted into Christ, the Messiah, the heir of Abraham. And so faith in Christ is the key to becoming both a Jew and the inheritor of the world. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean? If, if it's true, if, if all the believers in this room right now are heirs of the world, that someday the world will become yours by inheritance, the world, what does that mean? And what difference should it make today? The best exposition I know of is Paul's own in 1 Corinthians 3.21. And let's let Paul give a brief exposition of his own claim that Christians will be heirs of the world. What does he mean? Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 3.21. It's so interesting because this is born out of a very practical, nitty-gritty thing where there's boasting going on in the church. And one is saying, I'm of Paul. Another saying, I'm of Apollos. And Paul is so put out by this that he says, would you stop boasting in men? And then he gives this as an argument, a support for why they should stop boasting. 1 Corinthians 3, 21, end of the verse. So then let no one boast of men, for all things belong to you. He could have argued exactly the opposite way. And it would have been true. 
He could have said, would you stop boasting in men because you and they are both nobodies in yourselves. So where is boasting? It is excluded. By what principle? Demonstrations of the law and how great the teachers and we are? Or by faith, which is a childlike reliance on God for helpless, for help when we're helpless. He could have argued like that, and he didn't. Here's the way he argued. Let no one boast of men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, next word is the key, or the world. That's why I call it an exposition of Romans 4.13. Or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And why? How? Because you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So the first thing to notice here is that the reason all things are ours is because all things belong to Christ and we belong to Christ and therefore they are ours. And the second thing to notice here is that it's all things. It's all things. Hebrews 1-2 says Christ has been appointed the heir of all things. And if Christ has been appointed the heir and we belong to Christ, we are in Christ, then all things belong to us. And this is so wonderful, it defies description with human words. And so I have prayed for you and we prayed for you downstairs and I have prayed for myself because there are truths in the Bible that are so stunning. They are so wonderful that when you read them, you feel like they are so far out there that my little problem here has no connection to that at all. And so we just don't even connect. We don't even connect. We'll walk out of this room, some of you, if the Holy Spirit doesn't work, and you will just whistle through the day with no recollection of what was said here and no sense of being stunned by the fact that you were an heir of the world. If I had a check for a million dollars here, and I could with a legal counsel show you that it is made out to you from an account filled with a million dollars and Monday morning is all it takes and a signature for it to be yours, I guarantee you the rest of this day would be different. Test whether you believe this because that is nothing, 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 nothing compared to what I'm saying. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see, hearts to feel, minds to get around this truth. That in a very short time, in a very short time, you will come into your inheritance. And it's everything. Wow, that is so stunning. I love that clip. It was pulled from the sermon titled, The Children of Abraham Are Heirs of the World. A sermon preached by John Piper on September 12th, 1999. The clip was found and emailed into us by Nathan George Malenik. Thank you, Nathan, for sending that in. Of course, the whole sermon is online at DesiringGod.org. Well, there's one major obstacle for why we do not forgive others, and it's the obstacle of giving up our woundedness. John Piper joins us tomorrow to explain why it is so hard to truly forgive others. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you then.